So there are, are some times in life where you have little, like, splashes of cold water to the face. You get a, a wake-up call about something that you didn't really realize before. And that's just a, a normal part of life. You have those moments of like, oh my word. Well, that happened to me recently with uh, technology in, in particular. There was a, a game on my phone that I got a little bit addicted to, okay? The game was called uh, Adventure Capitalist, and it's not, it is, there's no like, actual benefit to this game. It's just an idle time to pay, pass your time. Basically, you sell lemonade uh, by clicking little buttons to sell lemonade, and then you take the money from that lemonade sale, and you can then invest it back into your business to sell more lemonade, or eventually, like, businesses on the moon and like it just keeps getting more and more intense by the, by the end of the game you're making like quadrillions of dollars a second it's ridiculous um, but it is what is called an idle game an idle game this is a, a category of games on your phone maybe you've played one where the the game itself is not limited to just when you're playing it it's also happening in the background so like I'm continuing to sell lemonade even when I'm not playing the game and so you know what that incentivizes you to do it incentivizes you to check in frequently to the game so that you can keep reinvesting your earnings into new businesses, right? So that's how the game works. And I found myself doing that a lot. Uh, it didn't take long before I found myself waking up in the morning and the first thing I did was to check Adventure Capitalist because I wanted to see, hey, seven hours of profits, let's pour that right back into more lemonade. And then all of a sudden in the evening, right before bed, I was like, oh, I might as well go ahead and you know, set a few things up before I go to bed. And then I realized I would start doing it during work a couple times, like, oh, I'll just take a quick, quick minute and check in on my businesses. And then, here's when my wake-up call happened. It should have happened earlier, but this is when it happened. Uh, my wake-up call happened when I was like planning it into my day. I remember thinking like, okay, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll get dressed and then I can, uh, I can play that for a few minutes and then I'll be able to get there and drive and get there on time. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold up, red flag, right? That's a major, major red flag. This game, which offers literally zero benefit to my life other than idle amusement, was actually telling me what to do. I was baking it into my schedule. Something was horribly, horribly amiss in my life. And so again, I saw for the, for like my eyes were open to how ridiculous this was. I became aware that there was something in my life that I thought I was in control of, but I realized, oh wait, it's in control of me. Okay, that was my wake up call. Now, why am I telling you about this, this dumb game? Um, oh, and by the way, I deleted the game, right? After that wake-up call, I got rid of that game. And in fact, after that began, because I noticed it started to happen with a different idle game, I made a rule for myself, a personal rule, that I just don't ever play idle games anymore. All right, that's just a rule for me because I know that they can get me addicted. Remember last week I said, know yourself? This is part of me knowing myself, and I know that that's not a good thing. Okay, anyway, so why am I telling you about this, this game? You may not struggle with games, and so this might seem like, like, what's the point of hearing about this? But I'm going to tell you something true. You live in 2024 America, okay? That's just the truth. You live in the heyday of the digital revolution. And so it is not a stretch for me to think that there is something, something in your life, uh, in your technological world, which is calling the shots. And it's other than, something other than you. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Whether it is endless uh, social media scrolling, right, that you can't seem to stop doing. You, you, you go to bed, you think, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to hop on Instagram for, you know, a couple minutes. And then two hours later, like, I have got to go to bed, right? That, that might be happening to you. Or maybe it's the, the binge watching of Netflix or, or Amazon Prime or whatever. And you realize, 
oh, I don't really have a lot of like close relationships anymore because uh, I'm spending all my time alone. Uh, or the relentless notifications. Maybe it's not some addicting thing, but maybe you are always on and you're just always reachable. And every time your, your watch buzzes, you're taken out of whatever moment you're in. Maybe that's how it is. Or, of course, it's maybe the hours that you're pouring into TikTok or YouTube, watching and watching and watching and watching. In some way, again, it's not a stretch for me to believe that we are all, all of us, at the mercy of a ravenous digital world. And it is trying to grind us into dust. It's trying to grind us into dust. So what do we do about that? What do we do when the technology that's meant to help us master our world instead begins to master us? What do we do when the, the technology that's supposed to help us master our world instead begins to master us? That's what we're talking about today. This is week three of this sermon series, Virtual Reality, a series where we are trying to seek wisdom from Scripture about how to navigate the world of the technological digital revolution as Christ followers. So let me give you just a quick recap of, of kind of how we've approached this series, because I know that if you are just joining us and you hear, okay, a church is talking about technology, you probably have a, an assumption of where we're going with this, which is technology evil, get rid of it, you know, move it all to the side, we're going to withdraw, we're going to pull back, we're going to burn it all to the ground. Because that's often how churches treat, you know, potentially damaging new cultural trends. Well, that's not how we're approaching it here at all at all. Um, what I've been getting into with this series, the way I've been framing this is that, that withdrawing from the technological world is not an option. It's not an option for us as followers of Christ. Um, yes, scripture makes it clear that we are called to be holy or, or set apart or different from the rest of the world. So we're not supposed to be corrupted by the things that might corrupt us in this world. But we are sent into this broken world. It's a part of who we are. We, we are sent into this world with a purpose. And so bottom line, we cannot just let the world go to hell in a handbasket with all their technology while we you know, withdraw and do our own thing. No, because our job as followers of Christ is to move into the filth, to move into the brokenness of our world and help heal it in Jesus' name. And that includes the brokenness of our digital world. So that's why the first principle, biblical principle that we talked about in week one was this. You are on a mission. You are on a mission. That's the first principle. Above everything else, we have to remember that you are on a mission to help heal the world around us. And frankly, it's kind of crazy that we are on that mission because we are the first Christians in human history who have to do this. We are the ones who have to navigate un the uncharted territory of faith in a digital world. And again, we don't have the option to sit on the sidelines, so we've got some work to do. So that was week one. Last week, we talked about the importance of paying attention to the content that we are feeding into our minds, the kinds of things that we are, are allowing uh, to, to shape us because uh, the things that we, that we shovel into our brains have a significant influence on the kinds of people that we become, right? And so the principle there is garbage in, garbage out. It's very simple, but it's true. When we pour garbage into our brain, garbage comes right out. 
If we are called, and we are, if we're called to be healing this technological world that we live in, if we are new creations in Christ, as scripture says, then we cannot let ourselves be shaped and influenced fully by the things that are going to just drag us back to the people we used to be. No, we are not of this world, as Jesus says, but we are sent into it. We have to wrestle with that conflict. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the hyper-addictive nature of so much of the technology that's in our world today. In, uh, in week one, the very first week of this series, I compared the digital revolution to the, tech, or to the uh, industrial revolution of Victorian England, right? I talked about how uh, there's a lot of, of parallels uh, between these two and how Back in those early days, back in the early days of industrialization, people, humans, were just chewed up in the process, right? I, we had, we had, I mean, everybody back then was breathing, like think Victorian London, everyone's breathing in thick smog being spewed out by factories, and four-year-olds were working in coal mines, and, and people were putting cocaine in the cough medicine, and it was, it was extreme, and, and people's lives were like, they had no, no value at all. They were just like cogs in the machine of progress. That's kind of how people were, were treated. And 150 years later, we look back on that time and we shake our heads and we think, ah, oh, those, those, those dumb people would do those crazy things uh, to each other. I can't believe uh, that they were so extreme. But here's what I wonder. 150 years from now, how are people going to feel looking back at 2024 America? I think there may be some similar feelings. Like, wow, you guys were extreme. Right? Are, are they going to look back and think that we were insane for the things that we allowed to shape our culture? For example, we've made great progress on like child labor, right? We don't put four-year-olds into coal mines anymore, but we jack our kids into screen time and social media earlier and earlier and earlier. Like, I'm sure that's not going to have any consequences. Hmm. Or, or, you know, we've made progress towards cleaner air a little bit physically, but the divisive rhetoric and the hateful misinformation that we are allowing to spew out from the factories of the digital world, I mean, we're all choking on that smog. We don't put cocaine in cough medicine anymore. Great. But think about the dopamine hits that we get in our brains from every little, little flick of the, of the thumb. They've done studies that the addictive nature of infinite scroll is just about as bad as drugs, right? That's what we're doing to our minds. Again, we are cogs in the machine of the attention economy, just as they were cogs in the machine before. Today, the issues that we're facing are, as I talked about last week, extremely powerful algorithms that keep us clicking and playing and scrolling and watching over and over again, that hitting that dopamine uh, rush in our brain just so that multi-billion dollar companies can make more money selling ads to us. That's, that's the world we live in. And look, if you and I get ground to dust in the process, well, that's just the cost of doing business. Yikes. So what do we do about it? What do we do? Well, I've got some good news. Technology changes, but human nature doesn't. And this book is actually full of some really incredible wisdom that can help us navigate the challenges that we're facing today. Yes, even in the digital world. So let's dive in. Let's see if we can figure out the third principle for this series straight out of Scripture. Uh, before we do that, though, let's pray. Father God, 
We invite you into this space, into this time. I've talked about the uncharted territory that we are navigating, and we really need your help to do it because we don't know the way. This is new stuff for us. So would you give us wisdom? Would you teach us? Would you shape us to be the kinds of people that can be on mission with you in this world? I pray, Father, that as I'm preaching, I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. And I pray that we would all have ears to hear what you have to say this morning. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, in a moment, we are going to look at a very specific passage of Scripture. But before we do that, uh, I kind of want to take a big step back and introduce you to a, a theme or a thread in the Bible that is kind of all, all throughout the Bible. If you open up Scripture and you read it from the, the start to the end, you are going to see this theme showing up over and over and over and over again. So we have to talk about that because this passage fits into it. This theme is essentially the conflict between humanity choosing to trust in God and what he provides and what he says and commands or to trust in ourselves, to trust in our own self-sufficiency. You see this over and over again. But what, what you realize pretty quickly when you read Scripture is that there is a reason why we constantly choose the latter. We constantly choose to, to do our own thing, to trust our own self-sufficiency, and it's this. We assume that if we take matters into our own hands, then that's going to be the key to abundance and joy and, and plenty, Right? That's what we think over and over again. Everybody constantly thinks that if they just, uh, you know, work harder or, or uh, you know, take matters into their own hands then, or make other people work harder for us, then boom, that'll make us happy. That'll give us what we want. Put simply, we do what seems right in our own eyes and it leads to us in chains. We end up in chains, enslaved to forces outside of our control. That's the theme we see all through Scripture. We end up enslaved to the struggle for survival. We end up imprisoned by our own selfish impulses and addictions, right? That's where sin grows out of. Uh, we, we end up enslaving others to make ourselves more wealthy or, or more powerful, which inevitably, over and over, it doesn't lead to wholeness and joy. It leads to corruption and death over and over again. Always, we're always in pursuit of this dream that if I can just be the master of my own universe, then I'll finally be satisfied. But that dream's a lie. That's what scripture teaches us so many times. That, that, that slavery to self that ends up inevitably happening, what does it do? It grinds humanity into dust. We work and we work and we work and we, we slave away and it doesn't lead to life. And that's why we always resort to war and oppression and empire and slavery, all these things to try to take control and it only makes matters worse. Which is why God, the creator, why he calls a people, the Israelites, he calls them, sets them apart and says that you're going to be different from the rest. The Israelites are not going to be caught in this spiral of self and self-sufficiency. No, they are going to learn something different, a way of trusting in God, not themselves. A people who could learn how to live in the, the abundance that's given to them by their creator. That's what the Israelites were called to be. And that's where that conflict that goes through the whole scripture is met with this, uh, this narrative of hope. Maybe this other way of living will really be possible. 
Now, when we first meet the Israelites, they are quite literally in chains. They are slaves in Egypt when we first meet them as a nation. Um, they're slaves in Egypt, and, and um, long story short, God rescues them out of that slavery. He brings them to their own land, the promised land, and they begin setting up shop as a nation in a specific uh, land on the earth. Um, and basically, God sets them up with wisdom. He sets them up with with what in Hebrew is called the Torah, the law, uh, which is essentially his commands for how to live a different kind of life, how to be different from all the other peoples of the earth. And so in that Torah, in that wisdom, th th is the promise that if you follow this, if you trust me, God says, then I'm going to give you all that stuff, the abundance, the life, the peace, the protection, the joy. It's all going to be yours because you are going to show the rest of the world that there's another way to live. But, of course, if you read the story, you realize that the Israelites really struggled with this trust, especially when they had their own land and they, they had to, you know, grow their own crops and stuff like that. They struggled with trusting God because they realized that if they didn't keep working and working and working, then they weren't going to be able to put food on the table. And so they started again, like everybody, to trust in their own self-sufficiency. Which is why this one particular command from God is so vital for understanding what he's trying to do by calling the Israelites to be set apart. And it's in Deuteronomy 5. If you want to turn there with me and take a look, Deuteronomy 5, which is part of the Ten Commandments, it's going to be page, uh, page four, uh, 154 in the House Bibles. And uh, you can take a look at while I read. Um, but basically, in this passage, God gives the Israelites a command to Sabbath. To Sabbath. And that literally in Hebrew means to stop. That's their command. Stop your work once a week. Let's read, let's read what this command is all about. Uh, Deuteronomy 5. Again, this is part of the Ten Commandments. God says this. Observe the Sabbath day, the stop day, by keeping it holy, set apart, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Okay. Now, this idea of, of a Sabbath day, uh, once a week, no work at all, it may seem a little familiar to us because we've heard about it before, but I just want to take a second and I want to just reflect on how radical, how nutso of an idea this would have been in the ancient world. If you are a subsistence farmer, if you depend on, on the, the crops that come out of your ground for you to be able to eat, then, then it is absolute insanity to not work as hard as you can to get the food out of the ground. The idea of, of Sabbath, of resting once a week, and having everybody, including your servants and your animals, rest, I mean, it's absolute crazy talk for someone living back then. So why would God ask this of the people of Israel? Why would he do this? Well, look at the next verse. Look at, he gives the reason right here in verse 15. He says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Huh. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. 
That's kind of odd thing to say. So why would he say that? Well, remember what happened in Egypt. Well, the people were ground into dust by work. And what's happening now? They've got their own land, but guess what? They're being ground into dust by work. Their master isn't Pharaoh anymore, but their master is self-sufficiency, and they are still in chains. The solution, according to God, is for the Israelites to stop the grind. Stop the grind. Don't do what seems right in your own eyes, which is to work all the time. Don't do that. Trust instead in the provision and the abundance of God. Break the chains of your slavery and live in trust and his abundance. It's a big ask, right? It requires trust. Trust that if they stop working, then God is going to come through for them and provide for their needs. More than that, he's going to give them better crops and, and uh, bigger harvests and more rain, right? They have to trust that he's going to come through for them if they don't put in all of that work. That is an incredible invitation from God. An invitation to a life of freedom, a life that looks a lot more like living in the garden with him in Eden than it does working in Egypt. Which one's it going to be, trust or self-sufficiency? Again, the people of Israel were called to be set apart, to no longer be chained to work and self-sufficiency like the rest of the world, because they were on a mission. They were on a mission to show the rest of humanity this, that there is another way to live. There's another way to live, the way of trust, the way of Sabbath. Now, if I could, I suppose I could, but I'm not going to, I could talk about Sabbath for like four or five hours this morning, okay? Because this concept is so rich and so deep and so profound, and there's so many passages that, that talk about it. I'm not going to do that. Maybe some other time we can do that. I've done it before. But we need to take a second and just ask ourselves, what does this concept have to do with us? Because as Christ followers, we are, we are no longer bound to the specific command to spend one day a week not working. The, the Old Testament law does not, does not whatever. It, but what does this have to say to us about the world that we are living in? I'm of the opinion that this concept of Sabbath is actually the key to finding freedom in our own lives. So let's talk about it. What, how does this apply to technology? Well, I'm going to wager a guess looking around. Yeah, I don't see any subsistence farmers in this room. I don't see anybody who is, who is like actually relying on the food that they grow to survive. So, so we're not subsistence farmers. But as I said before, earlier in the message, we are all being ground to dust by the digital world, right? We're doing, we're doing what's right in our own eyes. We're doing the things we want, the things that feel good, and it's eating us alive. Whether it's the, the hours that we're pouring into to watching mindless media or, or the ways that we are chained to addictive games or apps like I was, or the demands of keeping up your social media presence, right? If you want to be an influencer, you don't get a day off. You've got to keep going and going and pushing and grinding and posting. Otherwise, the algorithms are going to move on and leave you in the dust. So you got to keep going. 
Or even this, the, the always on expectations of our, our work, of our digital lives, right? You have to always be reachable. We now wear, wear watches that tell us the moment that someone like liked our post on LinkedIn or whatever. Like what are you, this is the world that we live in. We're always on, you can't switch off anymore. We are being ground to dust by the attention economy. We're pouring ourselves out day after day for, the, for what? For these multi-billion dollar companies to sell more ads, right? That's what we're doing. These, are, these algorithms that they are using are our new slave masters. We are living in a technological Egypt of our own design. Uh, there's an incredible book about the Sabbath by Rabbi uh, Abraham Heschel, which I highly recommend if anybody's interested. But there's a, one quote from this book that really stands out to me. Here's what he says. He says, our victories have come to resemble defeats. In spite of our, own, of our triumphs, we have fallen victim to the work of our hands. It is as if the forces we have conquered have conquered us. Tell me that doesn't ring true for the technological world that we're living in. This brave new digital world of ours, it wants to grind us into dust. We're slaves and it's a story as literally as old as time. But we are called, like the Israelites, as the followers of Christ, we are called to be different. We are called to be set apart, different from the rest of the world. Why? Because we're on a mission. We are on a mission, and that includes showing our friends and our neighbors and our, our classmates that there is another way to live. Yes, even now, there's another way to live. Which is why I believe that the radical command to Sabbath, which frankly is still a radical command, to stop, I think that can be one of the most useful tools in our arsenal, especially today. So here's the, the principle for this week. Principle number three, Sabbath breaks chains. Let's remember that. Sabbath breaks chains. The practice of Sabbath, it taught the Israelites to trust in God, to depend on God and not their own self-sufficiency. It can teach us the same thing. You were once slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves anymore. Live like it. So let's talk about this. How do we apply, again, this concept of Sabbath to, to the digital world? Well, to answer that, I think it would be helpful to just briefly touch on some of the, the aspects of what makes Sabbath, Sabbath, because uh, I think this will help give us some, some insights into what this might look like in our individual lives. So first of all, let me give you this, this one perspective. Sabbath is intentional, all right? It has to be. That's the kind of the nature of Sabbath as a whole. Uh, for the Israelites to spend one day every week just not working at all, and that means like not traveling, not getting up and doing stuff, and not, not like any kind of work, for them to do that, they had to put a lot of time in to prepare to not work, right? You've got to make sure all your shopping is done, and you've got all your food, and you've got hay for all the animals for an extra day. You've got to prepare to be off, to be, to stop your work. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up in the morning and Sabbath. The same thing is true for a digital Sabbath. You have to make a choice. Like, like, what are you going to stop? And when are you going to stop it? And how long are you going to stop it? And what are you going to do instead? 
This is work that has to be done before you do it. You're not just going to wake up and be off for the day, right? Now, by the way, when I talk about Sabbath and digital Sabbath, uh, maybe a 24-hour Sabbath is the perfect thing for you, but it doesn't have to be 24 hours. There's lots of other options. But whatever option you pick of what a Sabbath looks like, the fact that it's intentional, that doesn't change. I'll give you an example. If you are someone who is always on, right? I talked about the, the constant notifications, the dings, all that stuff. You, you, it, maybe you can't stop checking your phone. You put it down and within like 70 seconds, you're like, well, I better look at it again. If that's, if that's you and you're truly addicted to your device, Sabbath could look to you like taking an hour every day to just leave your phone in the other room. That, that could be a way of stopping the grind of this constant need to be on, to silence the demands and the temptations of your device even for a moment. But again, if that's what you want to do, you've got to be intentional. When, when in the day are you going to do that? And what are you going to do instead? Because if you don't have a plan, guess what's happening? You're going back into that other room and grabbing your phone. You have to be intentional. Another example, um, Sabbath could look like a choice to turn off all your work notifications when you're home for the day. When you're back home with your family, you're just not reachable by work. That is, is I think, a really, really good thing to aim for. Uh, you don't need to be reached all the time, but if you're going to do that, it takes some intentionality because you probably have to have a conversation with your boss and your team to, uh, to work through some expectations, right? So you've got to be intentional. Uh, one other example, I, I've started this practice in my life over the last year uh, of twice a year taking an entire month, uh, once in the spring and once in the fall, I take an entire month to do a little, I'll call it a sabbatical from some of the things that are keeping me in chains. If I find myself a little addicted to something, then I just completely stop it for one whole month. And I'm plenty legalistic with myself, so it works. So uh, sometimes it will be uh, video games, completely. No video games for a month. Sometimes it's Reddit or TikTok, uh, whatever it is. If I'm finding myself spending a little too much of my emotional or mental energy going there, then I just stop it. And, and it takes intentionality for me because what I've realized is because I'm so legalistic, I might say, all right, no TikTok for the month. Look at me. I'm such a great person. And then I go straight to YouTube shorts and it's exactly the same thing, right? But technically it counts. You have to be intentional. Think it through. Exactly how is stopping going to look for you? Okay. So that, those are some examples. And, and look, it's not always easy, right? This intentionality is not easy and it is definitely not what my tech-addled brain wants, so it takes a, a, an act of the will to say, yes, I am going to do this. But remember, Sabbath breaks chains. It breaks chains. And so if you want to be freed up for mission, if you want to be freed up to actually be a, a force of change in this world, then you've got to be intentional in what and how you stop. All right? Sabbath is intentional. Second, Sabbath is transformative transformative. And what I mean is when you do stop, when you Sabbath, inevitably your own addictions and dependencies will be brought into the light. It's just what happens. You'll have a wake-up call and it will give you an opportunity to make changes in the way that you live that you wouldn't have otherwise. For example, when you're, when you're on a digital Sabbath and you're stopping and you feel that deep urge to, to go back to your phone again and again, that should be a wake-up call to say, wow, I really can't do without this thing, can I? Hmm, maybe I need to make a change. Or, or you, you, you get off media for a little bit, and all of a sudden you've got this yawning chasm of boredom. Wow, I don't know how to exist without all of this stuff. 
Or you, you get off social media for a bit and you stop watching shows and you look around and realize like, oh, I don't have any real friendships anymore. <laughs> you know, that's like, okay, pay attention to that. That's what Sabbath can do. It gives us a perspective. It's a wake up call to see your life with fresh eyes. I don't want to be dependent on this, this technology like this. I had no idea how addicted or chained I was. This practice of, of stopping the grind, it's a great way of taking back your life. Take it back. Breaks the power of the slave masters over you. You were once slaves in Egypt, but now you are free. So live like it. Sabbath helps you realize that you don't have to be ground into dust by this digital world. You are free. You are free. Regardless of what form it takes, Sabbath transforms the way that we see our lives and it invites us to live in that freedom all the other days of our lives. So, Sabbath is intentional, Sabbath is transformative, and finally, Sabbath is sacred. Sabbath is sacred. And here's, here's why I say this. Um, it would be easy to think of this only in terms of like self-improvement, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these changes to my life to be a better person. And, and yes, that's a huge part of it. But Sabbath, more than that, is an opportunity to return to Eden, to return to the presence of God, to listen to his voice in that newly created stillness. Right? This is, this is what this, this, uh, this time that we create, that we carve out, allows. Stopping the grind of our devices, it, it may seem like an impossibly boring or hopeless task, but I believe it's the kind of sacred time that you'll start to cherish. You'll start to, to hear the voice of God and, and learn how to trust Him in new ways if you give it a try. It's sacred. Speaking of giving it a try, it's exactly what we are going to be doing together as a church next Saturday. Next Saturday, the 27th of January, we are going to be doing the No Screen Saturday Challenge. And that's the challenge. I'm inviting you to stop to Sabbath for a whole day. Not just from one little bit of technology, but from all of it, from screens. And, and my goodness, right? This is a lot. You got to be intentional with this, right? I, I've got, I'm going somewhere the other day or on that Saturday and I realized, oh, I'm going to have to print off maps like MapQuest 1999 style to be able to get there. But you know what? You got to prepare. That's part of it. Um, this, is, this is probably terrifying for some of you. An entire day with no screens. What am I possibly going to do? But trust me when I say this, we did this back in 2019 as a church and ask anybody who went through it back then and they'll tell you it was a sacred time. Long stretches of, of uninterrupted time with family and friends. Quiet where you can think and read and journal. And, and just like you're surprised at how much longer the day, the day feels in a good way. It's sacred time. And of course, it's an opportunity to take the, the, the urges and the feelings that we're feeling, even the discomfort of the day, and to just give that to God and say, God, I don't want to live like that. I want to be free. That's what this Sabbath will allow us to do if we have the courage to try it. No Screen Saturday challenge next Saturday. I can't wait to come back on Sunday and find out how it went for you guys. Let's do this together. Because Sabbath breaks chains. Sabbath breaks chains. It builds our trust in God as he shapes us to be a people on mission. There is another way to live. There's another way to live, even now, even in 2024. 
and we get to show our world what it looks like. Let's pray. Well, Father, as I think back to the ancient Israelites and try to put myself in their shoes, I imagine that Sabbath would have been a big ask. It would have taken a significant amount of trust. And even though we are not necessarily on the hook for survival with the work that's grinding us into dust, I know that we still, we, we, we recoil against the idea of stopping. Our, our world has got us so wrapped up that it's very hard to imagine life without all of this, this digital stuff. And yet, Father, I do believe that the invitation for us is the same as it was for them, which is to trust you to allow you to, to take our chains and throw them away as you, as you teach us to live in freedom. And so, Father, as we prepare for next Saturday, as we consider what Sabbath looks like in all aspects of our lives, would your Holy Spirit guide us and give us courage, courage to trust you and see the kind of life and joy and abundance that lies on the other side. Teach us and guide us. Give us your wisdom, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.